Hello, hello. I'm with Scott Sherrera today. We're going to be doing Leviticus chapter six and seven. We did a couple of podcasts in the past. Uh, as you remember, he lost his daughter uh, through the COVID protocols. Uh, he's still battling with the case in the legal system against hospital murdering his daughter. So if you're interested in uh, learning more about that, you can go back to some of the videos that we've done in the past. And I'll also post the links uh, directly to his website. And he also does his own podcast showcasing all of the problems with the hospitals and what they've been doing with the COVID uh, scam that we all know what it is. So he's been sharing the word for a very long time. He has a lot of guests that he's interviewed over the last couple of years, and he has tons of information. If you are at all interested in what's happening, or maybe you've been affected by what happened in the last three years, he has a lot of resources for you uh, on his website. So I'll post all those links, but we'll get started on Leviticus. So how are you, Scott? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I uh, have, you know, the best way I can describe it is I'm exhausted. I know. When you're, when you're tired, you just need sleep. So Last night, I, I was also tired, but I slept for nine hours last night, which is wow. pretty rare. Felt yeah. great. Uh, but yeah, I've been fighting so hard. I've been in this now. Grace is murdered on October 13th of 21. So I've been in this uh, full time. We're going on just over two years full time. I mean, it's 75 to 90 hours a week. Some weeks are 100 hours, depends on where we're at with the lawsuit. But yeah, this is a big deal. I've never worked so hard on something and it's, it's not. Uh, well, I think you're making a big difference, you know, cause this has kind of become your calling involuntarily, but. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. So I know we're going through Leviticus chapter six and seven today. And, you know, my perspective on things is quite a bit different than somebody who is a Bible scholar. Cause you know, that's not my. Oh thing. no, that's okay. And, cause I think you know, you Bible had, scholars. You had on last week, Jared. I mean, he, he, between you and Jared, I thought, boy, you really knocked it out of the park. Well, he did game. really well to help uh, flush yeah. out some of the meanings. So that's good. And, you know, like scholars are great if you want to get into that kind of studying. But this is not meant for that. This is like every day, like how I read it, you would read it. And, you know, how are we supposed to understand it? I don't want to go get a PhD in this. I just want to <laughs> like know what it says. You know, that's where I start. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. I knew, you know, I've known you for quite a while now, and I knew you would uh, put up with my shenanigans and realize my my degree is DAD. I don't have. Oh no, no, you have a lot to contribute because you're you're a believer. You know, you have a Holy Spirit inside of you, so that's what we're speaking to today. So, I think you will have a lot of insight that will help explain this. And you know, like it is what it is. I learn it through while I'm learning it with you guys as you share your thoughts and understanding of what it is. That's good enough for me and I'm I think that's good enough for most people. I, I do get into a lot of debates like with people that like, "Oh, I think it means this or I think it means that." I just want well, to keep it simple. You know, what you just said is a mouthful there too. So, I just want to comment on that because I have been a business owner for over half my life. And once I realized that the Bible was true, I never read another management book after that. When I was a young businessman, I read management books to learn how to lead and manage and all kinds of things. And, you know, they, they were great. But all of a sudden, when I became a believer, which in the, that time frame was 
you know, roughly 30 years ago when I found out that. So the proper way to even frame that isn't when I became a believer, because you have to ask the question from whose perspective. My perspective, I got knowledge that I was a believer about 30 years ago. From God's perspective, he knew it before I was born. So that's the when somebody asked the question, you got to always ask from whose perspective. <laughs> Principles that I learned early on is that teaching equals learning. Yeah. So most people would say, well, I could never do a Bible study because I don't know the Bible very well. Well, <laughs> believe me, that is not the criteria. As you just got done saying, which was beautiful, you're learning as you're teaching. And it's meant to be that way. If we yeah. had to be perfect before we taught anything, none of us would ever hit the mark. And, you know, God's word, it's complex. But at the same time, he wants us to understand him simply. Like, because He, we're supposed to be preaching to the whole world. How do you explain it where maybe different people with different resources, different languages, his spirit and his knowledge and, you know, whatever he's written down each of these chapters it should be understood on its own. I don't think you need, there are deeper meanings with all of this stuff, but that would take when the person is ready for more, you know, and even if I read this fully two or three times, I think God will just open it up in a new way when I'm ready for more understanding than I'm projecting right now. You know what I mean? So that's, uh, that's wonderfully said again. And uh, you know, what's interesting is <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to expect other than I know you, so I knew it would be great. Aww. The, the uh, You just again said uh, a mouthful. So think about the Pharisees in the time of Jesus's walking around on earth. I mean, he's the only ones they criticized. What's the yeah. reason? They had the best knowledge of Leviticus of anybody, right? Yeah. Best knowledge. They, they knew it backwards and forwards. And yet... He was critical of them because they missed the mark. They yeah. missed they missed him. And you know, my daughter Grace had Down syndrome. You know, that she's the closest person I've ever met to be somebody that is like Jesus. So yeah. she, Grace didn't have a PhD in theology. And that is what God calls us to do is to come like children. What's the reason? Because children look to their father as a good father. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point, because her life kind of reflected what God characters wanted. I mean, he didn't require, her, like each is given to whatever they are able to understand. But yet, even with her capacity, she knew God, and she that's died right. as a believer, which is, a, that's right. isn't that a huge thing already? Like, you will see her again, you know? It's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I actually came to you about the question when people were starting to say, should women teach the stuff. And then you kind of help me understand that it's the heart and the spirit. I mean, like what exactly is the goal of doing this in the first place? Your answer was great that it's not about me taking authority over people or men. It's just the able to communicate simply as I possibly can with others to kind of share what God has written in his word. Very, so thank you for well that. Um, so You're that's welcome. why I continue. So this is a summary that I did from um, Leviticus 1 through 5 when we talked about all the different offerings. So I wanted to just kind of recap because um, I, I broke it out to see if I could find those differences or not. So the burnt offering was actually like a gift to God, um, sort of a worship Thanksgiving that was done voluntarily. Um, the part of the passage said that it was each person's own free will that they should bring the burnt offering. It was truly a gift to God that didn't require anything else. You know, 
it, it did go through all the different procedures of how the priests were supposed to be able to take the burnt offering and put it on the altar and then like what kind of animals were offered each of the different ones you know god did specify whether it's going to be a male or a female or what type of animal as a gift it did require an unblemished male either bull sheep or a goat uh, from their flock or livestock so then the grain offering was all vegan it did not require anything animal related products or even it, it didn't require from honey and no leavening everyone was uh, to bring wheat flour offer it to the priest but the interesting thing about this was that the memorial portion was offered to god while the remainder offering was offered to the priest as a holy offering holy food offering to them so basically god was providing for Aaron and his sons, who were the anointed priests at the time, that they would always get the grain offering as holy to them. And it does talk a lot about the blessings um, that Aaron and his sons would have over the people that they could bless their congregation. And part of that was because they were made holy and the offering that they were given was also holy to them. And this particular grain offering, God talks a lot about that. And again, no leavening and no honey. And it was done voluntarily. Then the next was the peace offering, which was really for fellowship and communion with the community as a whole. And it was done in Thanksgiving. So that was like an, a way for the entire congregation to come together and share their first fruits or uh, whatever that God ordained for them to share as a community. And this one, it changed a little bit. It's no longer just male, but it was male or female from the herd. And they were all without blemish and it was still done voluntarily. So the first three offerings were all voluntary. And then the last three were done as a mandatory and it got a little bit more detailed. As a sin offering, it wasn't about intentional sins. It was all about unintentional sins that various people or the congregation or the priest or the leader or the common man would sin against God's holy commandments and all the uh, practices that God ordained them for to have. They broke out with different kinds of offering that each type of the community member would have to bring. So if a priest sinned, he would have to offer a bull. And if a congregation sinned, he, they would have to offer a bull. If a leader sinned, they would offer a goat. And then if the common man sinned, it was male or female, goat or a sheep. And we talked a lot about the symbolism of, you know, what that would mean. When the highest hierarchy would be from the priest, it was offered as a bull. And then as you go down to the common man, it was male or female from the flock, goat or a sheep. And we kind of talked about... That could be the separation of how God talked about us as a sheep and then the goat uh, that could be akin to like a wheat and the tear. But also because it was a female goat that there may be God may have a mercy against people that are not technically believers if you can go to like the unbelievers. But then again, unintentional sin that they are still, God still gives them mercy and atonement for their sins. Then the last two, the guilt and the restitution offering kind of go hand in hand um, as one, but they there's a little separation. So basically the guilt offering 
was all the trespasses against God and persons to bear guilt. The restitution would be to pay back for these trespasses that is committed against other persons or against God. So if there's a guilt offering, they would offer from a flock either a female, a lamb or a goat. And if they couldn't afford it, they would get two turtle doves and two pigeons, one as a sin offering and one as a burnt offering. And it was all without blemish and it was a mandatory requirement. And a restitution, um, they would offer a ram or its equivalent in silver shekels and then pay fifth of that to the priest. And also that was mandatory. So there's a lot of de details to go back to all the chapters and then kind of figure out what was required and how they were going to do it. There's a lot of interesting things that we talked about in the last podcast. So now we're just going to be continuing in chapter six and seven, which was the laws of these offerings. And so it kind of repeats it again, but it's now a law of what everything that was talked about in the previous chapter. That's fantastic what you put together there. It's really interesting because, you know, reading it once, it's very hard to kind of gauge what's happening. Um, right. Yeah. I see that a lot with stuff when I read. Uh, I'm going through some things right now with common law. I mean, you're a lawyer, so you get this. I mean, common law versus legal. And yeah, uh, it's in the people who are talking that language, uh, you know, they're several years ahead of me and you know, so it's like, don't you have this in some type of a grid where you <laughs> it lays it out? And yeah, I wish the whole I Bible was like I that. I do want to comment on on the thing when I listened to you and Jared, I, the thing that uh, it, I thought, again, you knocked it out of the park. The thing that I wanted to comment on, if you, can you just go back to your grid just for a minute? Yeah. It's interesting that the people had to have a sacrifice for unintentional sin. You know, so what you know, everything in the Bible is applicable. So you think about, okay, I just burned through town at 45 miles an hour and the cop stops me. And he says, did you know you're speeding? No, I, I had no idea. He said, well, the speed limit's 25 miles an hour. Well, <laughs> I didn't know it. I mean, is he still going to give you a ticket? You know, you're going to get a ticket because oh, yeah, just exactly. because you don't know it's 25 miles an hour is no excuse. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and even if that's true, even if you're not lying, you know, a lot of people get in the habit of lying to the cop. Interestingly, I, I used to do that too. But once I decided to not lie to them and tell the truth, I've only gotten one ticket since then. <laughs> and that's uh, in the last, oh gosh, it's probably 20, 20 years. All right. So I want you to scroll down to just a little bit here. Own free will right there. Yeah. Own free will. Why I'm zeroing in on that isn't because of this chart, but as I studied the Bible and I came to grips with what the gospel is, so God did everything. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation, not one thing. Yeah. So then people say, well, I chose, you know, this is the day I chose to, well, even God caused you to choose. So we can't even take credit for the choice. So when I look at our own free will, did God give us a free will or not? Well, yes. Uh, but he also happens to know what we're going to do before we do it. That does not take away from the free will. Some of the Bible is written from God's perspective and some is written from ours. But what I, I want to say about free will is that I personally believe that's the hardest thing God ever 
did, the hardest choice he ever made when he decided how mankind was going to be designed, you know, because he didn't have to give us a free will. Right. But he did give us a free will. So why do I say it's the hardest choice he ever made? Because he knew most people are going to choose against him. Yeah. And, you know, just think through that. He he only wants us to reconcile with him. That's step one. That's yeah. our salvation. And then he wants to teach us, you know, step two. Yet he knew most people were going to reject him. And so I just, it, whenever when I saw you and Jared do that, I it just struck a chord with me because when I when I studied the Bible originally, I thought this is the hardest decision God ever made. So yeah, yeah. you know, on the topic of free will, it's I've had like discussions with other believers, and one of the things that they couldn't wrap their head around was, well, if we're given free will to choose whatever we want to choose, and yet God knows everything from beginning to end. He thought that that would meant that everything is predestined, like it didn't matter what you choose because God already knows. And he couldn't wrap around, like, how can that be possible? Where either if you, like, if you have free will, he was basically saying that God couldn't know what you're going to do because that's left up to you. But yet at the same time, right. God does know everything. Well, it's interesting because that that is, I mean, we all have to reconcile these these truths. And how I've reconciled it, as I just shared, is part of the scripture is written from God's perspective and part of it's written yeah. from our perspective. But one of the things, you know, this got, this happened after Grace died, you know, because you replay in your mind, right? If I would have just done this, if I would have just done that. Oh, yeah. And, but you have to rest that God is sovereign. So, you know, the thing is, so once, you know, Grace, is, Grace died on October 13th, 2021, 7.27 p.m. God knew that before she was born. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Could I have made a different choice? Absolutely. But it didn't matter to God's timeline. God had a purpose having Grace's life. And, you know, that does not take away from my, you know, when I look back at the details, you know, what caused me to make this choice and that choice? And, the fact is, is I let the fear of COVID control my critical thinking. And, you know, I had to repent of that. The reality is God had a purpose for Grace's death. So both things are true. And yeah. we, we tend to want to put everything in God's thought process in these silos. So, you know, so we we can't separate them. But I mean, they're all true at the same time. Yeah, because he's God. He created everything. He could do every combination that it's possible. And it kind of allows us to do what we're still doing. And in one of the verses, he says, all things are worked out for good. So even if it seems like it's bad at the time, you know, whatever choices um, we end up making, but those choices are also building our story and how it all fits in the grand scheme. So I, I think whatever's happened, I mean, it is like a, her life got cut short, but maybe she fulfilled her purpose for the next step. She played a much bigger yeah. part. So anyway, I just wanted to comment on that before you start yeah. reading chapter six. So chapter six, you know, there's a chapter division there, but it really is a continuation of chapter five, which is fine. Yep. We can start going with chapter six. Yeah, that's why I wanted to do a little recap, um, because I think this chapter is still on the last 
chapter. Correct. Um, did you want to read or do you want? No, me? I would prefer. I mean, okay. I listened to you last time. <laughs> I, public reading, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good talker in public, but reading is not my strength in public. <laughs> no worries. So chapter six, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord by lying to another concerning some left in storage, or entrusted to him, or theft, or by exhorting his neighbor, or by finding a lost item and lying about it, and he swears falsely concerning one of all the things that man may do to sin in these things. When he sins and he is found guilty, he shall return whatever he stole, whatever he exhorted, and whatever was left in storage with him, or the lost item which he found, or about which he swore falsely, then he shall repay it in full and shall add one fifth to it. And he shall give it to the whom it belongs on the day that he's found guilty. So this is all about theft, right? So something that he, but again, it's unfaithfully against the Lord. This still would be unintentional things, right? Not actual, let me see. Well, I mean, when, actually, this is intentional, right? Right. I mean, this seems to cross the line in intentional. I want to go right to the end. I, I just have my Bible open here. So let's go to verse seven. I want to just share something here with in verse seven. Okay. Uh, and the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. There's a cause, you know, every sin has a cause and yeah. then every sin has a consequence. So when I, I underlined in my Bible before the Lord, so you had to make an atonement for him before the Lord. Why? Because every sin starts that way. Oh, yes. Yeah, a sin against right? God. We're always, the sin always starts as a sin against God. And then mm -hmm. it plays itself out in a sin against a person or whatever. So how do I know that? Because every sin starts in the heart. So yeah. when I get angry with my wife, what's the reason? Is it because that she did something to make me angry? No, that is not the that's not the cause. My anger can never be because of what she did. And so then when you drill it down, say, well, yeah, uh, I was in a bad mood. Yeah. Okay, well, no, why was I in a bad mood? It's because I'd lost my connection with God. I wasn't right with God at that time. Always the cause. The cause is always a disconnect from God. And so then we have an effect. Okay, so then what's the effect? Okay, well, it hurts somebody else. And so you shouldn't just have to pay the money back. You should also have a penalty, right? Yeah. So that's, this is so, this is the basis of God. I've been talking about this a lot lately, not referencing Leviticus, but the idea that there, right now, I, I, I'm guessing you don't know this. Yes, I just did a mono, monocast on it this morning. I just learned about it on Saturday is there's a, a formal uh, statement, I guess, right now, talking about amnesty for doctors with oh, who yeah. killed people in COVID. Okay, well, amnesty does not apply. Okay, it can't apply because it takes away from God's economy. Okay, the sin is against God. So the first thing is repentance, and then there's still a consequence. Just because you repented doesn't mean there's not a consequence. Yeah, so God requires restitution. Exactly. <laughs> Amnesty is completely satanic. It totally is. Because in all of these, even up till the previous chapter, Genesis, Exodus, and all, even, it's always about justice. Like God wants people to acknowledge their sin 
And then all these rituals that they're going to the priest, they're physically having to do these things and watch the animals be slaughtered, the blood being sprinkled, like all of these are acts of like showing them that this is the consequences of your sin. But he never just give them a blanket atonement, like, yeah, you're forgiven. You know, they had to participate and all of the ones that they trespass, like especially the this all this stuff now, God always required restitution. Absolutely. So they they can no one can just walk away, you know, whether they're stealing or murdering or any one of the Ten Commandments that God is, you know, that they're going to be violating. There was always consequences. And if they if they voluntarily like they don't want to submit to God's authority to repent and restitution, then obviously there's going to be God's judgment on them, you know, at the very end. The other thing that this brings up, which just came to my mind, is that when you, you've you met people, I'm sure, that are preaching a false gospel. And so yeah. the one that, bring, that comes to mind here is the cheap grace gospel. So the cheap grace gospel basically says, you know, we're not under the law anymore. That's a partial truth. We are not under the law anymore. Right. Jesus came to fulfill the law. So when he said it is finished, that means these all these old testament practices they were done yes, yeah but that does not mean we're not under god's authority you you take what's going on here and you pull out the principle so what's the principle there's you you make you sin there's a consequence i mean that yeah. principle survived into the new testament <laughs> while we're not under the law God's principles that are laid out in the Old Testament should be drawn out and say, okay, I'm still subject to, you know, this can't be complete chaos because I have complete freedom. And oh, God right. will just yeah. forgive me because we're in the age of grace. You know, that is a false, that's a that's a false doctrine. Yeah, and they're not really honoring God and what he's trying to do anyway. Like even this, um, of course, we are not slaughtering any animals or expecting the priest to forgive us for our sins because Jesus took that over for us. But at the same time, what is it really saying? That if you sin in this way, then you have to return to lost items and then also pay damages to the person that you took it from. Isn't that kind of carried over in our laws anyway? Like if we had justice, we had justice, uh, good judges in the system, wouldn't they be honoring the same principles that what God already laid down? Absolutely. I mean, that's where you can see that this system we have is, is. I mean, it's an anti-Christ system. Jesus yeah. said, Satan is the prince of this world. I mean, and now, you know, I don't remember the, the details anymore. I'm so, I'm a little bit fuzzy on it, but I remember a couple of years ago already, they, they said, well, if, if you live in California, that any, you can steal up to $900 from a retail store and there's oh, no prosecution yeah. anymore. I mean, that's ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't that violate exactly what this passage is talking about? There's no way. But that, yeah, you're right. They're, that's what they're changing all the laws. So all the theft has gone up considerably all over the cities and the stores end up closing down because if you if one person is allowed to take $900 worth of items, imagine 50 others and all his friends come and do that too. So that's like thousands of dollars looting. And then ultimately they all shut down, which hurts the entire community. What happens is the people who believe that the law, meaning man's law is the source of truth, then they can they can justify that behavior. And you know, it's yeah, you know, this is why we've got to teach 
what it's like to have roots. Have to be, we have to have deep roots. I mean, we are going to go through some times coming up that. I know. Well, I think I'm hoping that the younger generation will rebel against some of this stuff and actually will go back to God. I think some are trying, but it's just overwhelming when it's all the media only focused on one thing. So they don't actually show the other half of the story where there is a battle, there's a spiritual battle going exactly. on. So the other part that I wanted to mention that this was still part of the guilt offering from the last chapter. Yes. Uh, they were required to give a ram without blemish or its equivalent value, Aaron and his sons, who were anointed to make the atonement for them. And then they were they were forgiven for their guilt. It's kind of interesting that they're saying that not necessarily their sin, but their guilt. Are they implying that somebody who like stole something right. or that they're like guilty of the sin or their internal guilt, like, oh my God, I did something wrong. I feel guilty. What do you think? Boy, that? Is that that is a I I did not pick up on that. You know, I did not go into some of the older commentaries to see what they say. You know, sometimes yeah. it's the version of the Bible that we're reading, but you know, that business of the sin versus the guilt is quite an interesting. It's not a, it's not splitting hairs at all. No, uh, yeah. Or this verse right here. So he shall give it to whom it belongs on the day he is found guilty. So perhaps it's a judgment of guilty, not necessarily like the feeling of guilt. What do you think? Well, it does say, and he will be forgiven for anything he may have done to incur guilt. So that would be everything, including the guilt. So oh, guilt, yes. you know, a long time ago, I, I learned, you know, the guilt, we think that that's okay. You know, that, well, I should just remember that I'm, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm, well, that is not God's economy. No. Uh, we're not, we're supposed to have no condemnation. God's mercies are new every morning for a reason. He does not want, guilt is from Satan. Yeah. And he does not want us to be living in guilt because then we can't do his work. Yeah. So like if uh, now we're forgiven by Christ, then no one really should have any guilt, right? As a, as a believer, no one should have those feelings. Well, I think those feelings can come from your conscience bothering you. Yeah. But then once you have reconciled with God and repented, the guilt after that would be would be a sin. Right. So it should go away. So as long as they repent today, then that should no longer be guilty of anything, right? Because that Correct. should have yeah it's all over yeah so that's great so we kind of don't need to go through all the offerings to the priests but we could go directly to jesus and that would automatically forgive us of our sins right that's correct yeah now we're doing the laws of each of the offerings that we just talked about um the law of burnt offering the lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his sons saying, this is a law for the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until the morning and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. The priest shall put on his linen robe and his linen undergarments on his body. Then he shall remove the ashes from the fire of the burnt offering on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and he shall bring the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and it shall not go out. 
The priest shall feed it with wood every morning, and he will arrange the burnt offering on it, and he shall burn the fat of the peace offering on it, and a perpetual fire that shall be kept burning on the altar, and he shall never go out. So there's a lot going on here. Part of it kind of relates to what we sort of talked about last time, but the hearth is... I, I have to look it up what the hearth upon the altar was. I think that's like the brick area. So if this is like the altar here, then the brick area that's surrounding the altar, that's, I think that's what it's called, hearth. And the other thing that I noticed here, so they had to take off their good garments when they took the ashes and took them outside the camp. And that ash pile is where they did all the sin offering in the previous chapter. So they had to like, collect all the ash and then put it in the, beside the altar and then take it outside the camp to a clean place. So that kind of references the sin offering. And then the final thing on here was that a perpetual fire shall be kept burning on the altar, shall never go out. So that has to do with like all the other verses that we're still going to read about uh, the burning fire. I think it, has a reference to the lake of fire, which never goes out and where all the wicked go. So what do you think about that? My view of it is again, going to be different than a theologian, but the, that's okay. You know, I'd look at something like that, this whole section that you just read. And I just thought, well, God says what he means and he means what he says. So he cares about the details. He's just not this concept a nebulous god i mean he's he cares about the nth degree of detail he's paying attention to the details here and he wants people to obey in the detail so that's oh, how i that was my you know bigger picture view of things my tendency is to is to always look for the bigger picture instead of you know when and why is that because i i came from a catholic background and once I found out what the truth is and I became a believer, you know, the Catholic background was all about the false gospel of works. And, yep. you know, so then once I realized it is finished and there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, then I would tend to look for, okay, what is, what's going on here? Instead of focusing on, you know, so you can become a legalist pretty quickly. Yeah. Looking at the Bible, you become you can, you know, it's it's um it seems to happen to just about everybody where you start becoming a legalist and you forget what is going on here. So anyway, that's that was my simple take on that section that you just read. Yeah. So I wanted to share like what this perpetual fire shell kept burning on the altar or she'll never go out. Heard that before, so I ended up looking up the fire isn't is eternal. You know, eternal, it says it will, in my Bible, it says continuously. There was a direct passage for like the fire will never quench. Well, I guess I'm not going to find it. So I guess we'll just pick up. The only thing I wanted to mention here is that the perpetual fire, there are many, many verses that references like, uh, especially towards judgment that was referring to the lake of fire that will never be quenched. Even Gehenna, the place of where all the dead were thrown into the pit, that place is also referred to the fire will never, it will continuously burn. Just to keep in mind that uh, there are a lot of symbolism here about 
having the clean garments and then changing them as they take the ashes outside to put it in where they would normally do the sin offering and then come back. So the inside the temple, they had to wear fine linen garments and clean while outside the camp, they could just wear regular clothes. So the law of grain offering, this is a law of grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it to offer it before the Lord on the altar. He shall take from it a handful of flour of the grain offering and the oil and the, all the frankincense, which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma as a memorial to the Lord. So this sounds a lot like what we already read about the grain offering, but now he's um, making this a law, a commandment forever for the Israelites for all their generations. Aaron and his sons shall eat the remainder of it. It shall be eaten without leaven in a holy place. They shall eat it in a court of a tent meeting, and it shall not be baked with leaven. And I have given it to them for their portion of my food offerings made by fire. It is most holy and it is a sin offering as is as the guilt offering. All the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. It shall be perpetual statue in your generations concerning the food offering of the Lord made by fire and everyone who touches them shall become holy. So there's a lot going on here too. Um, so he's providing for Aaron and his sons through the grain offering. So the part of it is memorial to the Lord, which is supposed to be with the frankincense and it has a pleasing aroma. And the remainder was given to them for Aaron and his sons. And it says made with, without leaven in a holy place. So they're also eating in a holy place, but they themselves, the offering itself was supposed to be holy to all the priests and then it says everyone who touches them shall become holy so and and there was only males i guess it, it didn't matter about the girls but all the males because i think they were anointed and consecrated to become future priests of that uh, levite generation but what do you think about like anyone who touches them become holy your friend jared last week really summarized the entire Old Testament well. So I remember early on in my studying, one of the the pastors who I listened to a lot, his name was Chuck Missler. He said, you'll find Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. Yeah. And, you know, so what does that mean exactly? I mean, everyone who touches Jesus becomes holy. I don't know oh, yes. what it means, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it certainly can be that because when I look at, at you know, the Old Testament, I think is extremely valuable. One of the Chuck Missler, I'll just reference him again, because he said, I looked at one of his commentaries in preparation for today, and I'll just read what he wrote. Uh, he said, Leviticus instructs New Testament Christians how to appreciate holiness and appropriate it into their everyday lives. We seem to want Jesus to solve our problems and carry our burdens but we don't want him to control our lives and change our character. And that's a that's really a theme of the this whole book, is you think, oh my gosh, I, I you know, praise God that I'm not under this law anymore, right? Yeah. But that is that's not what you should be taking out of this. You know, God writes this stuff, not not this law specifically, but he writes these laws for our benefit. Yeah. Right. You know, so 
we're not under the law anymore. So, okay, we don't have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. No, it <laughs> is the He gave us a heart to follow these things. So, when you look at the Ten Commandments, especially the way you should always look at the Ten Commandments is in light of the Sermon on the Mount, because when you look at them outside of the Sermon on the Mount, you start feeling good about yourself, right? But yeah. when you look at them under the light of the Sermon on the Mount, you realize, oh my gosh, this is nothing. I can't hit the mark here. It's impossible without having a new heart and being born again. Yeah. And you know what you said about here that it's really basically whoever touches Jesus becomes holy. So this was probably a foreshadow of that because God anointed and picked his priests uh, that was supposed to represent his holiness and Jesus himself. And um, we did establish that Yahweh is Jesus in the Old Testament as well uh, with the previous verses. Yes. Um, so then basically he's giving himself anointing the priest to become holy as he is holy. And through touching the priest of all the offerings that are made to him are holy, then you're essentially becoming holy. So isn't that the same thing as saying that once we become a believer, we are imparted God's righteousness and holiness onto us? Well, I sure think it does. I mean, I'm guessing the theologians will have a lot deeper meaning. But remember, we started with the premise, my degree is DAD. <laughs> no, that's okay, because this is meant to be for one believer to another, explaining how they, what, you know, what they're reading. Because if we start getting into the PhD style, I think we're all going to get lost in the simple meaning of what we're you know, God's trying to convey. So I'm okay with whatever, you know, comes to mind or what in your own understanding of what all this could mean. And I think um, part of this, it does have other deeper meanings and connections, but simply God wanted to anoint his holy priesthood, which uh, Jesus was said to be the high priest in later on. So he is also a priest in a sense, the holy priest and God. This is all foreshadowing what he's going to send, you know, when his son becomes flesh and for us to be like, instead of offering this to the priest to become holy, we're now a direct connection with God. So I think this kind of educates like what God was doing to sanctify his priest and the people when, you know, long before Jesus was even going to come. And now we can appreciate all the stuff that Jesus did for us just by reading, you know, what was right. said here. That that's really the right way to look at this. You yeah. Know, can you you imagine? And when I read the book of Hebrews, the the instruction I had is, you know, which I think every book you need to look at who is it written to. You know, the book of Hebrews was written to the people who who were following this, but actually were, you know, they they had a heart for God. You know, it's always yeah. been by faith. But they had to reconcile now that Jesus came and rose from the dead. So it's like okay, well, now I don't have to do this anymore. And I'm, you know, so that's, that's really, I mean, that would have been, you know, when, when a new concept, so I, I would analogize it to, I had, you know, roughly 30 years of believing in evolution and, you know, well, so evolution's not true. And so, you know, I, I could not wrap my head around that. And all of a sudden, oh, I finally got it. And, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. so that would have been, think about the people doing this, then this is their whole life. All of a sudden, Jesus rose and, okay, now this, I don't have to do this anymore, 
right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the struggle. I think the Jews saying that they believe the Old Testament, but not the New Testament, because to them, Jesus didn't come yet, or their Messiah hasn't come yet. Right. But then the biggest argument that they made was, how can I all of a sudden be instructed to do all this stuff for all these generations and then told not to do them and just, you know, like Jesus fulfilled all this. They couldn't wrap their head around that concept. But I think that was like leading up to that, that to, to show like what sin is and what was required. And the only reason why they did all these rituals so they can participate uh, what it meant to be forgiven. There wasn't like that grace. They had to know like, okay, you had to do these things in order to get atonement for your sins. Without that appreciation, how could they have known that what G Christ actually did for all of that and what he, what he did for us, where now we can just by faith, walk in faith and honor his word. And then we're forgiven without having to do these intricate details of how they had to go about atoning for sins. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm going to just quote Chuck Missler one more time yeah. relative to what you just said, because it, it really emphasizes it. He wrote, God hates sin, but he loves sinners. And yeah. because he loves sinners and wants to forgive them, he provided a substitute to die in the sinner's place. The whole sacrificial system declared to Israel that a substitutionary death would be required to die in the sinner's place. Yeah, that part I forgot about. So the whole thing with this uh, animal sacrifice was a substitution Correct. to take their place without having the person who sinned be judged immediately. And that judgment would have been death. Correct. So to, to do all these killing and sacrificing, which was a lot of blood at the altar, we kind of talked about that last time too, it would be a ton of blood uh, to have to go through all these animal sacrifices every single day for all the sins that uh, various people committed. Imagine all those substituted where the animal had to die, but then ultimately God was the substitution. He settled it all. So no more sacrifices. He was the final sacrifice. Yeah. So that's so a these point. things in that in that light, I mean, these things were meant to remind people, you know, just what what's the cause of all sin? separation from god right yeah. so meaning meaning for a believer you know our pride separates us from god so then when we sin we have to go back to god to repent well they were reminded of this through this whole system constantly which i mean that's what we've got to be this is you know why does god tell us to pray continuously yeah not so that we can get unemployment because we can't you know why are you on unemployment because i'm praying all the time i can't work no that's not what you get my sense of humor along with, with yeah, yeah. but no that's not what it is and it's 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 because that's the only way to stay connected we've got to stay connected with him to not sin period yeah and even if we do sin as believers even though the god was the final sacrifice we still have to do our part in acknowledging the sin and repenting because um, that was the other part of this. Like they would ritually do these things as an act that reminded them that they sinned. So they were acknowledging it by offering their best first fruits or best part of the herd unblemished. So they were reminded that this was an acknowledgement that you did this and that this is what you're going to be atoned for your sins. Without us doing that today with any of the animal sacrifices, then that means we still have the responsibility to acknowledge the sin and repent. Absolutely. So even, even though Jesus was a sacrificial lamb, 
that doesn't absolve our responsibility either. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's why God kept talking about unintentional sin. I don't know if he's really dealt with intentional sin yet, but I think from the first part of this chapter, it did seem like it, that was intentional. It sin. does seem like that because it said in verse three, if he finds lost property and lies about it. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that, wasn't an act, that was not an accident. <laughs> yeah. So perhaps the intentional sin requires the restitution. Maybe that would have been the difference between unintentional versus intentional. That 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 seems to be what the the theme is, and that would make total sense. Yeah. All right. So verse 19, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is an offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord in the day when he is anointed. A tenth part of the ephah, I think it says it's about... 1.6 kilograms or something like that. Well, 1.6 kilograms, it's like, it's 2.2 pounds to a kilogram. So, okay. so they're saying about that's three, pounds? three and a half pounds. Okay. I think it actually said that, but I didn't read it quick. Okay. So about three and a half pounds of the wheat flour for regular grain offering and a half of it in the morning and a half of it at night. So this is the other interesting part of here is that in Exodus, they, when they were to get manna, they had to pick it that day to eat for the morning and evening, and they couldn't store it for the next day. That was, and they could only store for Saturday on Friday, but each day they had to pick whatever they were going to eat for the day, and that was it. So this is, reminds me of that, that they, every grain offering that they get, it's meant for that day, and they have to start all over it again the next day. They couldn't store it. Uh, it shall be made on a griddle with olive oil when it's well mixed, and you shall bring it. And with the baked pieces of the grain offering, you shall offer it as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest among the sons of Aaron who is anointed to succeed him shall offer it. It is a perpetual statue to the Lord. It shall be completely burnt up. And for every grain offering for the priest shall be completely burnt up. It shall not be eaten. What do you see there? Well, I actually want to go back to the other one. I don't, I don't see anything specific in what you just read, but the one right before. We're supposed to rely on God for everything, so yeah, you know, we we tend to want to store up, right? That's just yeah. kind of how we've been all trained. You, you know, you got to prepare for your retirement. You've got to do, you know, you don't don't quit your current job till you have another one. All these things that we've been taught. It's unfortunate because they all get us further away from relying on God. Can you imagine actually relying on God? You have nothing. You're relying on him for everything. I mean, you know, that's that a, is so far away from our American way of thinking. Uh, and it's by design. You know, Satan. Yeah, I think that's the best thing to learn from this chapter, actually. That whole idea that we should be relying on God for daily provisions and not for like when we have access, we don't, I don't think we really honor God too much. Although he does allow people to acquire wealth. He gave Solomon a lot of wealth and riches along with wisdom. So I don't think he's against that because he anoints certain people to make more and then more is required of them. You know, like right. you are a businessman. Um, so you've done well in your business. So that's more is required of you than somebody who's struggling from day to day you know, or making like minimum wages and stuff, regardless of how much you have, 
it does kind of point to that don't rely on what you have, but it is a day-to-day provision. Like all of the Levites priests were totally kept taken care of by God. They didn't have any inheritance that God divvied out to all the other tribes. So this tribe was going to be provided for 100% by God and people giving them these offerings, um, the grain offerings especially. So did you have any more that you wanted to add? I didn't have anything else on that, what you just finished reading. I'm just looking at the notes I have in my own Bible here. So yeah, I didn't have anything further on that one. Yeah, I think that what you said about the point is day-to-day provision. I think that's the key takeaway from here. It did remind me of what uh, God did for the Israelites in the desert in the previous chapters where he provided them with all the provisions that were a day-to-day when they were hungry, they were thirsty, including the manna, they were specifically instructed not to store up any. So I think I like the idea of what you said that we tend to store up things um, when maybe that's not required. I think remember in the little bit of craziness after the 2020, a lot of people that were preppers came out and they were starting to um, advocate storing a lot of stuff to survive. Yep. And so this I, is yeah, this is this is maybe the uh, you know so I, I'm going to again reference Chuck Missler, but and it's not because I'm believing in a man. Believe me, that that's not it. But he did say something very powerful. This was back when remember Y2K. I mean, you're old enough to remember Y2K. Yeah. And but what he said about it applies as a universal principle. So there's nothing wrong with prepping. That's not the point. There's nothing wrong with with storing things up. It's not the point at all. Yeah. And it, because all of a sudden you become a legalist. So you then, well, I, you know, the people that prep are dummies. The people who don't prep are godly. I mean, it's like, yeah. no, that's not it. So anyway, he summarized it perfectly. And he said, there's always two mistakes we can make. Number one is failure to prepare. And number two is relying on your preparations. You oh, rely yeah. on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So how do you split that? How do you how do you know what to do? Well, well that- I guess if God's given them instruction, like He gave Joseph to store up seven years. Right. Worth of, so I yeah. mean, if God, it, that's the only way we can know what to do is we have yeah. to rely on Him to know what to do, because yep. to somebody that that has um, stored up a year's worth of food, that could be sin to me, but it's not sin to them. So you can never look at the action. God never cares about the action. It's always the heart. Yeah. And I guess, you know, there's always a purpose and who does what and why. There. So I I would tend to agree that never judge a person if there's too much or too little. I think that's the provision that God probably given them, yeah. uh, whatever they have. It could be a lot. It could be a little. But also throughout the stories in the Bible, each is given um for a specific purpose you know what solomon had was a purpose he was ruling the entire kingdom back then and he had a lot of responsibility for that kingdom and joseph same you know he was put into that position even though he went through all those hardships he ultimately has second in command of egypt to provide for all the egyptians all the food that when they underwent the famine so he was preparing god was preparing joseph from the day that he was born and giving him the dreams early on and then going through all the hardships and stuff god was preparing him for that moment i'm sure that we're going to be given instructions in when it's time that those who are given a lot they probably have much more responsibility 
than those who don't have it. So law of sin offering, Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is a law of the sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is killed. Shall the sin offering also be killed before the Lord? It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it in a holy place that shall be eaten in the court of tent of meeting. Whatever touches his flesh shall be holy, and when the blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash it in a holy place. And the clay vessel which is boiled shall be broken, and if it's boiled in bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed with water. All the males among the priests shall eat from this offering. It is most holy. Any sin offering where blood is brought into the tent, meaning to make atonement in the holy place, shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up in fire. So any thoughts on this one? I think it's more. Yeah, I, have, I have a few thoughts on that. I mean, it's interesting to me that it's done at the same place as the burnt offering. You know, when I look yeah. at the burnt offering is like the highest level. It's acknowledging complete surrender to God. And so the sin offering is in the same place. So that that means it's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And then the the reality of the clay pot and the bronze pot, it didn't matter what pot it's brought in, but you know, it needs to be, you know, it's done. So the sin is completely paid for, is the way I, I interpreted those references so those those are my comments um, yeah so all these things and whatever is brought into the tabernacle into the holy place it became holy like just the fact that we know the whatever the priests were given as food it was the most holy and then they were eating it in the holy place it god told them to eat it in the holy place in the court of the tent of the meetings which is all holy and then this is whatever the flesh touches becomes holy so everything that was in the holy place would all be holy down to the clay pots and the bronze pots. Uh, you know, they're giving specific instructions, but part of the sin offering in the previous chapter, it did say parts of it were burnt on the altar to God, and then the rest was taken outside the camp and uh, burnt on the ashes of the most clean place outside the camp. Those instructions are still there. But I think this one is kind of memorializing the law of the sin offering that everything within the holy place, it's all holy. That there's no, even though it's a sin offering in the holy place, it is sanctified and made holy just by the act of being in the tabernacle. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, I agree that, with what you're saying and it adds it adds to the context of what you just read yeah so we finished chapter six one more chapter to go now we're doing the law of guilt offering chapter seven so a lot of this is going to be kind of repetition uh, with right. what we already said uh, so likewise this is a law of guilt offering it is most holy in the place where they kill the burnt offering they shall kill the guilt offering and the blood Shall he sprinkle on the sides of the altar? He shall offer all the fat, the fatty tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the two kidneys, and the fat is on them, which is on the loins, the appendages that is above the liver, above the kidneys. He shall take away. The priest shall burn them on the altar for a food offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests shall eat from it. It shall be eaten in the holy place. 
It is most holy. As a sin offering, so is the guilt offering. There is one law for them. The, the priests who make the atonement shall have it. The priest who offers anyone's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. Every grain offering that is baked in the oven and is prepared for in a pan or a griddle shall be for the priest who offers it and every grain offering offering whether mixed with oil or dry shall be equally shared among all the sons of Aaron so this is again now providing for the priests of all these offerings whatever whoever did it they get to keep it and his right. sons and I, I the one thing I would add is um toward the beginning it it's it's the entire animal yeah everything you know which is you know God yeah it's he lays out these details. I mean, you just process this and, you know, we can, we can, we have a, a choice. Do we want to look at these things that God lays out as burdens or do we want to look at them as a loving God who is trying to protect us? You know, it's no different than a child, right? When you have a child you tell them, okay, here's a couple things I want you to know. Don't put your hand on a hot stove. Don't put your finger in the electrical socket, right? I mean, yeah. you're not telling this to the child because you you hate the child. Telling it to the child because you want the child to be protected. I mean, we are we are children in the scheme of God's economy. You know, we don't know anything. Um, yeah, and this was around a time when they didn't go to Costco to pick up all their meat. This was actually, they had to take care of it in a certain way. Yes. I think God was giving them instructions. So they did it safely of, you know, how they handled the meat and what was divvied out. But, and then all these instructions, so imagine being in the wilderness for 40 years. And this was like the first time that they're making all these camps and they have the tabernacle. How are they going to know what to do if God didn't uh, uh, step well, by step? That's fantastic. That's, that's right on. That's yeah. the way we we have to look at God is he's a good father. Yeah. Um, he's and not, I, it kind of reminds me of what you said earlier that you actually have uh, your own flock, your uh, cows and what was it? Uh, buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. And you said that you also eat them like your own meat. How do you prepare is it anything similar to what's going on here? Uh, no, because we have a we have a butcher and a freezer. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, nothing like this. I mean, it's um, but it's it's because we don't. I mean, there's. I would welcome this if that was necessary, but I mean, it's not yeah. necessary anymore in you know in the 21st century. Oh no, I was just curious because they talked a lot about fat, so I was wondering if. The butchers, like how they deal with the fat and the end. Yeah, it, you know that's interesting. When I heard you last time too, and and um, Jared did a great job explaining fat, and yeah, I, I developed not developed. I was made aware of the fact that I have heart disease six years ago, and you know we had already been raising our own meat then. But I mean, meat, you know, grass fed meat. That's what we have: organic grass fed meat. Yeah, and it's not or, not certified organic. It just is organic. I don't need it certified because that's not, <laughs> not what's going on. But I am encouraged to eat the fat as part of um, good eating habits with heart disease. And yeah, I'm still alive six years later. And they told me I had a 60% chance of death in the first two years. So here oh, I am. Oh, wow. 
So you can testify to of your own experience that as long as you had healthy, organic, grass-fed meat, you could eat all of it, like the fat. All of it, yeah. Yeah. And which was kind of nice because it used, you know, in the old days, I always trimmed all the fat off. And I mean, oh, that fat is so, it's good. Well, I remember that. The only problem with here, like with store-bought meat, there's so much chemicals in them. So like, to me, eating that fat would just be eating whatever they were injected with. Great. Um, No, I understand. Yeah. Okay. So the law of peace offerings, this is a law of sacrifice of peace offerings that a person shall offer to the Lord. If he gives a Thanksgiving offering, then he shall offer with Thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil and the cakes of wheat flour mixed with olive oil. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering unleavened bread with the sacrifice of his Thanksgiving peace offerings. From this, he shall offer one loaf for from each offering as a gift to the Lord. And it shall be for the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offerings. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for the thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. So it's more of the same repetition. But now with all of this was brought out in the previous one, they did the burnt offering. But here it's it's a Thanksgiving sacrifice. We kind of have that holiday today too, the Thanksgiving but do we really offer that to the Lord? Like when we went through Thanksgiving just a few weeks ago, who was that Thanksgiving to? That's right. And think through the idea of being thankful. You know, we have to look at it through the lens of a good father. When bad things happen, are we thankful? It's easy to be thankful when good things happen, but are we thankful yeah. when bad things happen? God wants us to be thankful all the time because why? Because if he deals us you know just envision he's dealing out cards and if he deals us out a you know how we perceive a negative card well boy i just want to get rid of that you know i'm not thankful for that but we're supposed to be thankful for everything because the police officer that pulls you over for speeding you know pretty hard to be thankful when you got a 200 dollars ticket but what what is the purpose you know to teach you to slow down to prevent you from being an accident victim, there's an accident ahead that God's trained to stop you from being part of. I, I mean, we're supposed to be thankful and everything. Yeah, and this is the voluntary offering too. Um, but how do we do that in modern times? It's still voluntary. Like, how do we do a Thanksgiving peace offering? I mean, this was part of a community thing. So they weren't just doing it individually. They were gathering together, you know, bringing their grain or meat offering and that was supposed to be shared i think this actually is like the original thanksgiving i meal. think that's a great way to look at it um you know my bible divides this fellowship offering into three but they're really two but th- the thankfulness you're going to go on to vow and free will offering but the vow and free will offering has the same rules associated with it but anyway we're still back to the the same theme that God cares about the details. Yeah. He's, he he's a God of order and he cares about details. I mean, that is a fact. I mean, we should not be loosey goosey about what is what he wrote. You know, and it's not that we're following this anymore. That's not the point. But it's no, a, just it's understanding. Like, yeah. What's God's character? You know, so yep. we should be pulling out of things we read. What is God's character? Well, he's he's a God of detail, a God of order. Things matter to him. 
Yeah, and this is kind of laying out the first governmental yeah. way of like managing 600,000 Israelites as it was kind of brought up uh, in Exodus, how many people he let out of Egypt. If you follow that, it was, you know, around 600,000 people that all had to be managed. This was kind of like the principal way of not only worshiping God, but then also providing for the priests and then just having that order of a system that people could actually follow. You know, and it wasn't random. Like if you've gone through anything, every regulation today, like for any anything that the government wants to set up, even from local county level all the way to the federal, they'll write to death all the legalistic regulations just to do one. Like if you wanted to put a park bench out there, it'll be a whole write-up on how to do it. I kind of see this as like God had to lay down instructions, very specific, so there were no disputes there were no confusion, which if you had to manage that p many people, and really the priests were like acting as governmental authority, not only the, spiritual. I think yeah. that's that's fantastic. But there's a there's a fundamental difference um, between God and the governmental authorities. If the governmental authorities followed God's pattern, uh, we yeah, would it all be fine. Like this. Yeah, but when they and you know, COVID of course exposed this because. Yeah. All of a sudden, they start mandating things that have nothing to do with God's economy. You know, masks, the jab, everything yeah. else. What when I I've dug into this in a lot of detail now because of Grace's lawsuit, and you look at you know they're mandating what informed consent is in the statute. You so what's the reason? Well, it's because they want to exempt the doctors from following it you know the difference between what's happened in our legal system versus what god's legal system was is a matter of the heart so god god did this because he loves us and our current system does it because they want to control us and so yeah that's the problem from, right, right coming from the complete opposite yeah and if they had heart of god they were following if they were anointed you know government officials Everybody would be doing so well and, you know, they're good at legalistic stuff, but then at the same time, they would do it for the benefit of the people, right. not the benefit of themselves, where here it's showing that everything is benefit of the people and the priests who are taking, being taken yeah. care of. Bingo. So it's completely opposite of the way we live today, for sure. Yes. So verse 16, um, but if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day also the remainder of it can be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, the one eating shall be not accepted, nor shall be imputed to him who offers it. It shall be contaminated, and the one who eats of it shall bear his inequity. So this is kind of like a judgment on, I think it is kind of speaking of the New Testament, what Jesus did it also, because it's, it's talking, like everything we already read, God was making it holy within the tabernacle. And this saying that if you ate it on the third day, it would be contaminated, which I guess meat would spoil, even the food would spoil after. Yeah. There's no refrigeration here. So right. I think that was to protect the people from not eating anything that could spoil after the third day. So it was only good for two days. But yet who anybody who ate it, 
became sinful and unclean. So he could no longer reside with the, you know, in the tabernacle being clean because he made himself unclean. So that I think that kind of goes about, you know, our sin, if we're made clean in Jesus, but then who rebel, the ones who reject following God's commands, then they essentially become unclean. What do you think about that? Well, I think that that I think that creates a the proper picture how you just framed it that makes because it says nor shall it be imputed to him who offers it last piece bear his iniquity mine says we'll be held responsible so both are the one who actually offers it and the one who eats it and that goes back to five five one also i mean i interestingly in a podcast i had today i used your your um i took a couple minutes out of last week's and i used it in my podcast because five one you know the person who watches the sin but says nothing is also guilty so i mean this is follows that same principle yeah you know you could have stopped the person yeah we all that's i actually think that's happening to the nth degree today where our apathy seeing all these things because the only reason sin spreads far and wide because people are not stopping it within their locality. Somebody sees something in their neighborhood that's wrong and they do nothing, then they're guilty and the sin just keeps multiplying. If they do exactly. it at their job, same thing. They're allowed to do it. In the hospitals, you know, we've seen that. Nobody does anything and people die. So this kind of thing that just continues over and over, you know, God does speak about that apathy a lot, like what happens. So I'm glad that God said all of those people are guilty. So unless they repent of their sins, they're not going to be, they're going to be held accountable. That's correct. Um, That's right on. I mean, and that is, that's an important, you know, I, I have something that I'll, I'll share relative to, you know, I, I'm in this full time now. It's, it's obvious, but, you know, I could have been in this way before. And so I saw not the hospital murder type sin or the medical profession sin, but this idea of the slippery slope of sin. Back when we homeschooled our first two kids, we homeschooled Grace also, but Grace wasn't born yet. When uh, Jessica, our, our oldest daughter, she was in a class a homeschool class and the teacher was, you know, she didn't have email then. I mean, email was pretty new. And so the teacher was emailing me the assignments and then, but she would email reminders. So emailing me the assignments was fine because Jessica didn't have email. So I give it to Jessica, but then she'd email reminders. And I called her and I I said, I don't want you to ever email a reminder again. It's wrong. (laughs) <laughs> she got mad at me for calling her out on it, but why did I say it's wrong? And and so I I did what I needed to do there, but I I could have got involved with a lot more detail instead of just saying it. Well, okay, I did what I was supposed to do, and so why do I say that's wrong? And I say it's wrong because I own a business, and I get young people now in the business, and they continuously fail. Why? Because not because they're failures, but they have been programmed that they don't get any consequences for their choices in public school anymore. They hand, they get constantly reminded of the assignments. Uh, they can hand them in late. They get a do-over. No consequences. And so yeah. the reason I told the lady to not email me reminders anymore for Jessica is it said, I want her to get an F if she doesn't hand her paper in on time. Otherwise, how is she ever going to learn anything? Right? Yeah, no, that's a great thing. I think I didn't even, yeah, that's, I didn't even recognize that that's what's happening where the consequences are being taken out. 
we have to have consequences yeah. just the way it is it you know when god's economy is taken out of the equation you know everything falls apart and you know we have a society right now where you know if if you give somebody a consequence you're the bad guy i mean that yeah, does, that's a great observation because now i can look at like why they were allowing all these uh crimes to become commonplace like the one we just talked about with the $900 theft you right. know they could do that they were no consequences at all so they're teaching all these young kids it's okay you know you can yeah. do whatever you want you're not going to get caught you don't have to pay back how are they going to know like if there was any threat that there was consequences for stealing even if you're a young kid then would they do it would anybody else in the community would do that i don't think so but now they're allowing it to happen and it's kind of flourishing ground for all the young Correct. people to get. I agree with that. I think that as this continues, it says that they might actually get banished from the community. But let's read what it says. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. As far as the other flesh, all who are ritually clean can eat of it. So what's going on here? The flesh that touches anything unclean shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up as Oh, is this saying anything other flesh meaning that's clean? I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, that's a little confusing because I I think the unclean stuff, they had to burn it up. Okay, so we'll just leave that. I think it means that the stuff that is ritually clean, they can eat of it. And who are ritually clean? I don't know. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord and who has any uncleanness on him, that individual shall be cut off from his people. So this was the part that I think that's basically like the wheat and tear situation where if you don't remain in God, then those people are cut out from the body of Christ. Well, and I when I I, I couldn't really understand this, but I did pull out. You know, when I read it, what instantly came to me was that uh, we're not supposed to belong to the world. Right. We're, we're in the world, but not of the world. And, you know, so what does that mean? I mean, I'm learning a lot more about what it means to be of the world than I ever have been. So think, yeah. through, think through, you know, we in in the community where my office is at, where I'm at now, there's a lot of Amish people we would have a tendency to say, well, they're being legalistic with all their rules and regulations. And and uh, I'm not going to go on that rabbit trail. But what the rabbit trail I want to go on relative to that is, you know, they're not participating in being of the world. The specific thing I want to talk about there is think through what would happen if the government shuts down electricity. Oh, yeah. It's a real possibility. I mean, they would... You know, how many people can survive a day without electricity? Two days, three days, a week, three weeks, three months. Um, Not they long, especially the in the The world has a lot to offer us, right? It's convenient to have electricity. And running water. Yeah, and, totally. yeah I'm not. I'm not telling people to cut yourself off from electricity right now. That's not <laughs> my point. But the world is, it's got a lot to offer us. Yeah. God tells us to not be part of the world and I think that's right be- on i that is the point because it's trying to keep us holy and clean like as part of belonging to god we're made holy um not just 
because of ritualistic stuff, but actually by faith and we belong to him, that we are different than those people that were outside the camp. Like that represented the world. That's why the sin offering was made outside the camp. So in this sense, like it's saying that anyone who has any unclean cleanseness on him, he shall be cut off. So like, to me, that's a condition of his heart, right? That he made himself unclean or is not wanting to be with God wholeheartedly. And that person has to be cut off. Then it'll be like sin multiplying within that community and they wouldn't safeguard it. So the one part of the unleavened bread you talked about, you kind of akin it to sin. So if you add a little bit of leaven into the bread, it's it basically the whole bread becomes leaven. So a little bit of sin becomes sin in the whole bread, not just a little bit. In a way, like he's protecting his people saying, if any one of them is found unclean, he has to be cut off because that little bit of unclean will infect all of the congregation inside the camp. And that's what I think he was protecting his people. So the moreover, the person who shall touch any unclean thing, whether the uncleanness of the man or any unclean beast or any detestable unclean creature, and then eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that individual shall be cut off from his people. So basically, I think he's trying to relay that anybody that becomes unclean could not be part of the community. They have to be cut off. It kind of reminds me of the Adam and Eve story. Once, once they sinned, they got separated from God and they were banished out of the garden. Even though God protected those people, Adam and Eve, but they were banished from the holy place that he created in the Garden of Eden. Well, God also tells us to not yoke ourselves together with unbelievers. He also, in Proverbs, I don't know where it is in Proverbs, but the idea of thinking you can, you know, you're, bad always brings down good. Good does not bring up bad. So we're yeah. not supposed to be thinking that, you know, we can go to whatever and think, oh, I'll, I'll shine, shine God's light there. No, that's a <laughs> place. Yeah, he told us to be separate. And I, he also gave us command to stay together, like fellowship with each other as believers, because it is always spiritual warfare. If you're with unbelievers, whether they're good to you or not, they're still always a spiritual warfare because they don't believe anything what God has said. So you're already right. automatically separated. If you spend long enough time with them, I think that'll just bring itself out. Okay, so eating fat and blood forbidden. And we were talking about fat. So this is kind of an interesting verse. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to children of Israel saying, you shall not eat any fat of the ox, the sheep or a goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of it which is torn by the beast may be used in any other way, but you shall certainly not eat of it. For whoever eats the fat of an animal that is a food offering made by fire to the Lord, that individual shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any manner of blood, whether from a fowl or animal or any of your dwellings. Whoever eats the manner of blood, that individual shall be cut off from his people. So the blood part, I do know, like throughout the different verses and stuff, God always says never eat the blood of an animal or anything. No blood, because um, the life is in the blood. But the fat part, I'm still getting confused and mixed messages whether he's saying don't eat any of the animal fat, but yet he's also burning the fat 
uh, as a offering on the altar. So that was the thing that, you know, I was also asking Jared about, like, if God says don't eat the fat, then what, how does that become good for us? It, it's, it's, that's a mystery to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of tend to, right now, I don't know if there's any ceremonial reason for that or if it's physical, you know, whether it's unhealthy. But it does kind of say, uh, at least so far, don't eat the fat. And that's a commandment, like eating fat and blood forbidden. So I'm going to go by at least what it says, like maybe it's not totally healthy to eat it. The priests share, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, who, he who offers a sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his sacrifice to the Lord from his peace offerings. His own hand shall be the food offerings of the Lord made by fire with the, the fat, with the breast, that the breast may be waved for a wave offering before the Lord. I've never heard of the wave offering. Do you know anything about that? No I idea. Know. Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. All of a sudden, like we had like pre-order of all these offerings, but it just now suddenly introduced a wave offering. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. The right thigh you shall give to the priest for a contribution offering for the sacrifice of your peace offerings. The one among the sons of Aaron who shall offer the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his portion. The breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron and the priests and to his sons as a perpetual portion from the children of Israel. I'm not fully aware like while the symbolism is going on in here, but it does seem like he's providing for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual portion from Israel. Well, I mean, that makes total sense um, given that time period. And I, on November 14th, my wife and I did a, a church in northern Wisconsin, invited us to speak there. And just by God's providence, I met a man who wrote this book. It's called Don't Be Called Leaders. <laughs> and it's quite interesting. So he gave me this copy of the book. And so I, what I wrote here is what has this whole thing evolved to? So if you think about back then, I mean, there was really a purpose for all of this. So then what do people think about right now when they think about, uh, so these people were the, you know, Aaron and his son, they're the priests, right? So then the priests evolved to pastors. And what do we think about when we think about church and pastors? I realize this is off topic from what this is, but when when I saw this, it came to mind because people have been programmed. I mean, you know, my podcast is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. Yeah. Why? Because it's all, I look at everything now. What have I been, Is what is the reason I believe this? If I asked believers on the street, if I had 100 believers, okay, you know, what, what is your um, ritual that you do on Sunday? Well, we go and we go to church and, okay, well, what does church look like? Well, the pastor gives a sermon and, you know, we, you know, we shake hands and sometimes we have a meal afterward and, okay, so that's, you know, pretty typical of American church, okay? Well, he wrote this book and he, what he does is peels, peels apart Matthew 16, 18, and that's the scripture that's, uh, you know, when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. His basic premise for this book is that isn't what Jesus said. 
And he said, I will build my ecclesia. And I'm probably pronouncing that word wrong. But ecclesia is, you know, we've been, Satan has a vested interest in programming us. And so if we think we can go to church on Sunday and check a box, listen to a pastor, you know, <laughs> that is not what Jesus intended. He intended these this to be an ecclesia, which was a a, a meeting where everybody contributed and the yeah. expectation was everybody was contributing. So anyway, that's what was on my mind when I read no, but that. That relates directly to this because that was the open question that I also had while reading all this because all these priests were anointed and had a lineage to become priests. And they had a certain, so they're not there preaching sermons or anything like that. They were gathering and taking care of the tabernacle, bringing the people together in a community, which portion of their offerings were given to them as their inheritance, as food. Today, though, like, I I would want to support, because part of this, like, okay, the people, the congregation was supporting the priests. They, They had nothing else they had no land nothing of their own it was all supported by the children of israel what happens to us today like how are we supposed to support the anointed i don't even know if there's such a thing how do we come together and like i i feel like we're totally disconnected we're not even in the community and as much as i would like to offer our spiritual leaders but i don't want to give blanket money for a pastor who just wants to go up there and make you yeah, know right it's but this is by design it's because then you know the pastor then he's submitted his church to a 501c3 and then yeah. you know, it's all uh, no it's like, terrible i think it's all corrupted and, and that's why i'm having a hard time whether to go into that system or stay out of it uh, i don't it, i mean anyone who does whatever it's fine with them but me personally, I do have a hard time because I think it should be more like a community thing where we're responsible for each other. So we're bringing in our first fruits to kind of take care of our needs because yeah. everything was taken out from all their offerings that not just food, but then shekels that they contribute to. So those shekels were then used to take care of all the communities, whatever they had to do at that time. But now the government does it. Maybe that's yeah, what well, I, Which is another problem altogether, right? Yeah, the government's become our God now. So they're, they're our priests. So whatever they say, then that's what right. we end up having to do. So 35, this is the constitution created portion of for Aaron and his sons from the food offerings of the Lord made by fire in the day when Moses presented them to minister as priests before the Lord, which the Lord commanded that they be given this in that day that he anointed them from the children of Israel as a perpetual portions throughout their generations. So God ordained that, that they would be well provided for perpetual portion so throughout their generation do you think that generation only refers to israel at the time you know that these people were gathered together or forever the principle applies forever but you know the sacrifices obviously this whole process applied to until jesus came but you know the here's a common principle that people miss okay so we know what was the purpose of the tenth you know a tithe what was the yeah. purpose? You know, it was to take care of of the Levites. I mean, that it fit exactly the situation. 
okay, well, what's the what's the situation now? I mean, again, take a survey of Christians. What do they think about tithing? Well, it's off. It's kind of I mean, put them in a hard place. So. I don't mind tithing if it meant that they were anointed to be our spiritual leaders and that that's what God ordained for us. You know, Jesus didn't address tithing in the Sermon on the Mount, but right. you take, take the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to anything where it was a law. Then you start coming, okay, oh my gosh. Yeah, so tithing is completely gone. It has nothing to do with anything anymore. Because right. it's all God's. It always was all God's. So yeah. we should be able to give everything at any time we're commanded to do it by God. So, you know, I don't know what that looks like. I know what it looks like right now because oh, yeah. I, I've never given so much. But I mean, if I was, if I decided to put myself under the law of tithing, I would, oh, I'm not doing that because it's more than this, my 10%, right? Yeah. Like you said, you did spend a lot in right after for the last two years on exposing the evils. But everyday people, like, are we supposed to be, like, who do we give it to? Is it because of our circumstances that we end up giving more of ourselves when it's required? Or do we do it on a regular basis to someone? How do we we're do programmed? That? We're programmed to think that that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So it, it's it get out of the programming. God's programming, Jesus programming is it's all his. Right. So when if we're in if we're in communion with him, he's going to tell us where the need is. Oh, I see. Yeah. Maybe for a time being that you are working and gathering, maybe not expending it on a regular basis, but then all of a sudden God is going to use that and you right, So now, I mean I mean I'll be facetious here. So now <laughs> you just wrote out your check for 10%, okay? Yeah. So now, right after, you just you see this person whose car is broke down and, well, I can't stop. I don't have any, I can't give anymore. So I can't, I can't stop. Oh, or, I see. It prevents, it prevents it them. Be, right? Yeah, you know, that is probably the, the whole thing. That's the crux of it. I think that's what you're on to, though. So the thing is, if you're forced to give by a certain, like taxes, the government takes, you know, they're going to take the taxes. Then you give a certain percentage to the church if you belong to an organized church. Then you feel no obligation to help your family members and neighbors or anyone else that is in need because you already think you contributed to where somebody else is going to take care of the problem and not you. And I think it was meant for people to have be in fellowship and responsibility over their community. So then it should go as that problem is presented to you. Like if right. I agree with that, I don't think it was meant to be a certain percentage. It was right for that time because that was the initial community. Absolutely. Yeah. It, was, it fit like a glove then. Right. But today it doesn't, though, right? It, it doesn't make any sense. So this is the last uh, few verses. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, and the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and all of the of the or, ordinations and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offering to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Oh. I don't have anything specific there, but I wanted to close with this comment again from, from Chuck Missler. Um, you know, it's interesting. This was roughly, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. 
and I printed this stuff off. Actually, this will have a date on it. I printed this is from 2005, so that is you know uh, roughly 20 years ago, and you know so that must have been when I was reading Leviticus, and he wrote relative you know the the summary of the book basically these spiritual truths still abide there is for sinful man no citizenship in the kingdom of god apart from a high priest and mediator with a propitiatory sacrifice for sin so that is what is was true in the Old Testament and is true in the New Testament. It's always been the same. God's character cannot change or he wouldn't be God. Yeah. No, that's good. And then, I mean, I guess we just have to keep in mind that these he was leading his people from Egypt into the wilderness where they were only supposed to be on the journey for three days, but that turned into 40 years. So 40 years being stuck out on the wilderness because of their sin and unwillingness to follow God. And that's how God stretched it out from three days to 40 years because the Israelites spiritually were not ready. And so these kinds of things help them get ready, but it's kind of like their mini government that got started in the wilderness where God here says the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai. When Moses was up there for 40 days, 40 nights, he was given all the blueprints to build a tabernacle, all the instructions in detail that ultimately that he then told the Israelites who then agreed to follow God and agreed to follow Moses to complete the tabernacle. And one of the things that I kind of had an epiphany today, when it was God's project, all the people offered their gold and all the materials to make the tabernacle and that community set in place but like today like if we you know that concept of like if you have a project you want to do you have to pay people god did wasn't giving out salaries to all these people he was making the israelites give everything they had to god and then god provided through that the entire structure that we're doing right now the whole thing <sighs> so that was a lot to cover today so we have one more podcast together next week Yes. Um, and that'll be continuation in Leviticus. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I'll leave all your links in the podcast. But do you want to say anything about your own podcast and anything you want to share about what's going on? Well, I mean, I, I sure. I mean, I'd love for people to take a look and see if it's something that you like, you know, subscribe. It's called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. You know, we have our own Rumble Champ channel. It's on Brady and it's all the, on all the sources, but you can link to it on ouramazinggrace.net. And there's a tab that's called Deprogramming. And then that gets you to the episodes. You know, there's, yeah. there's a, several of them that uh, I, the last two, I took a little break over Thanksgiving. I just needed a break personally. Oh, yeah. uh, but the two that were before break, I had Karen Kingston on and then Jamie Walden. Uh, those two are phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. I will post you. So on on your website, there's a lot of resources for anybody who wants to learn more about COVID stuff and your case too. That's all there too. Great. Um, so I'll see you next week. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks, Seema. All right. Bye. bye.